0: Mark chapter number 4, and we're going to continue here. We're going to actually look at the parable of the mustard seed in verse 30. But because we missed last week, let's go back up to verse 21 and just kind of remind ourselves where we are. And uh, obviously we'll uh, just kind of work our way down what the hour will allow us to do. Uh, Verse 21, And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick. There is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, but was anything kept secret, I'm sorry, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, real quick here, again, we're in the parables. We're here in Mark we're actually in Mark 4. This is Matthew 13, uh, Matthew 8, Luke 8, Luke 12, all these, where we're at. And uh, the parables here, the, after the explanation of the parable of the sower, which was I, the, that parable, the Lord gives it, then he defines it, and he defines every detail. And what that parable did was it identified the, those four grounds, those four types of grounds and everything, and what it did was it identified the, the sower, the Lord, is going to sow the seed, the, the word, the word of the kingdom, Matthew calls it, the word of God, Luke calls it. And as he's sowing the gospel of the kingdom, how does that get responded to? So you've got four, those four grounds. But what that is demonstrating is that there are two groups, two people groups within the nation of Israel the apostate nation which is the wayside the thorny and the stony they they're rejecting it or they or or the religious guys remember the wayside that Satan comes immediately and takes it away that's the religion then the stony or the thorns they they've got it they're excited but it doesn't have root with them so it does, you know as soon as trouble comes bam they're off the the stony side there But then you've got the good ground, and there's the little flock. There's the believing remnant. And if you look down to verse 34, he says, But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. So what's happening in the parables and why the Lord is teaching in parables, one, it's so that the apostate nation will not understand what's happening. But then two, it's so that the little flock would get the information. And and again, in verse 23 there, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. If you come back to verse nine, and he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's how you know verse 21 and following is connected to the parables. Because if anyone that has an ear, let him hear. And if he has the eye, you know, and so forth. Well, there's one group that's going to get it and understand it, and there's another group that isn't. So you've got these two groups here within the nation of Israel. So he's hiding, and, and again, what the parables are, are doing is is he, he's been going, his, his public earthly ministry has been out there, now they've rejected him, they're, pl- they're making their plans to kill him, so he's backing away from the public ministry, and he's moving backwards away from everything and dealing just with that little flock, getting them ready, because now there's going to be a delay in the coming of the kingdom, and that delay is Calvary. So he's getting them ready for the delay for him dying, being buried, resurrected, and then ascended up out of the way. In, in Luke, there's the, that, the, that parable of the nobleman. And he goes off into a far country, receives the kingdom, and then comes back. And while he was gone, he talks to the servants there, and he says, Occupy till I come back. Occupation, you've got a job to do. There's the early acts ministry. And what what he's doing is he's laying out all of this. The apostate nation doesn't get it. Yet, that little flock is getting it. And, And honestly, God's intention is... Not that, this, that this, this progressive truth, this next set of truth, stays hidden. It was never designed. That's why he says in verse 21, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Matthew calls these the the seven mystery parables of the kingdom. Mystery and a secret, but it's secret because one group can't get it and the other one can. The the intent of God is not to hide the truth from anyone, but rather it ends up being hidden from those who don't want to see it and to hear it. The issue of the candlesticks. You go to Revelation 1. We did this last study verse 20 and the candlestick the seven churches there are those seven candlesticks and they give light not to hide it but rather to hold it up verse 22 for there is nothing hid which shall not be manifest neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad i'm he, he i'm hiding this from the apostate nation right now but one day it's going to be revealed all all across, and by the way, when that is done, is the early Acts ministry. He's gone; they kill him. He's gone. He ascends up. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They're endued endowed, endowed, with the power there. The Acts two. And now, what do they do? As the church, the candlestick. What do they do? They go out and they shine the light, and put out the truth. Now, there's a warning, verse 24. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure you, you meet, it shall be measured to you and unto you that here shall more be given; for he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not, which shall be taken even that which he hath. There's a warning here. There's a, re- a, re- a responsibility to the little flock to continue in what they are learning. Last time we looked at Matthew 17 when the guys couldn't, the the Lord and Peter and James and John are up on Mount Transfiguration. They come back and the disciples couldn't heal the guy, the the sick kid. And they're like, why? Well, what happened? Well, prior to that, he had told them that he was going to die. And be buried and rose again. And they didn't continue in that progressive revelation because the bridegroom, when the bridegroom's there, we rejoice, we have a good time. We don't fast, we don't pray. But when he's gone, what do we have to do? Fast and pray. They didn't continue in that. So the little, cl- they weren't staying current with the information given to them. And this is a warning here don't fa- stay current, guys, stay with the information. Stay with what you're learning. Verse 26. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how, but for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, After that, full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he put it in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now we're going to talk about being fruitful. You you got the truth. You've got the information. Now it's time to be fruitful. And again, he's sowing the word. What's it do? It grows up. The guy doesn't know how it's growing. What's it doing? It's growing. How did it start? First the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn, and then the harvest comes. And it's when the harvest comes, that's when the fruit, that's when all of that is, the, 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 uh, the harvest indicates here, now we're going to reap what we've been doing. We've been growing. We don't know how it's happening, what's going on. We don't know what the what the bushel count's going to be. The harvest comes. Now we know. And literally what's happening in 26, 27, 28, and 29 is a time schedule. A a time th- issue here for the day of harvest. And we looked at the day of harvest last time, and that's the end of the world. We went back to Matthew 13. Saw there with the tares how he uh, uh, puts all of that out. So He's telling them here what the ministry is going to be like. The response that they're going to get and uh, receive, really, for the from the unbelieving. The parables are hiding information from the apostate nation. Guys, little flock, stay current, stay up to date, stay with it. And literally what's happening here in, during the earthly ministry is as even though he's withdrawing from the public, he's pulling away, he is now training that little flock for their Acts ministry. And he's getting them ready. And that ministry is going to be a ministry of proclamation. That's why Peter in Acts 2 is so bold. That's why he's so bold in Acts 3 with with the, the Sanhedrin, with the council, and in 4 and 5. Why? Because, hey, it's time to do what? Put up. <laughs> no shutting up. We're putting it up there. We're making this known. So you come to verse 30, the parable of the mustard seed. Now, this little seed gets beat up a lot. So we're just going to look at it here. Actually, we'll look down a little bit. And then next week, we'll, or, and after the new year, we'll talk more about it and so forth. But notice verse 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? The the, the similitude here. Uh, By the way, that's how God teaches all through the prophetic scripture. The similitude, like and as. You see this? It's that. You see that? It's like that. As and like. Like and as. The comparison. So take the mustard seed. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it, but without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. You take the mustard seed. It's a little thing. You sow it. Verse 32, what's it going to do? It grows big, doesn't it? He doesn't explain the parable of the sow- of the mustard seed. You've already you already know how to decipher it because he gave us the parable of the sower. By the way, the mustard seed parable is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not every parable is in all three. The sower is in all three. The mustard seed is in all three. Because what's going to happen here is he's going to begin to explain some things. If you come, So how do we understand what he's talking about? Well, go back to verse 13, 413. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? So here's the template to know all. Take the sower information. take the In Matthew 13, you would take the tares and the wheat. And you're going to be able to take that information and then look at all the details and understand all the parts of the, the parable. And all the parts are defined. So the comparison... What, verse 14, the sower soweth the word. Well, what are we doing in verse 31? Well, we're sowing that little mustard seed. S- sower the word. Mark says the word. Luke says the word of God. Matthew calls it the word of the kingdom. Okay? So the sower, what's he doing? He's out there sowing but notice verse 31, it is, a, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the earth is what? Less than all the seeds. It's a little thing. It's little. Luke chapter 12, he calls his disciples, fear not what? Little flock. Jeremiah, he's Jeremiah over there, he says, We be few of many. Little. He's not functioning in the big, you know. What's the adversary do? We function in the big. God says, no, we function over here. If it's big, God's got to be in it, not not in Scripture. It's it's the opposite. That's why religion, you know, tweak it just a little bit and you cause trouble. The little flock. In Luke 18 over there, he makes a comment. They ask him, how many are going to be saved? He says, not many will be saved. Not many, little. How does it start? Not big. Now it's going to grow and it's going to end big. I mean, if you think about that, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says he was seen of over 500 of the brethren. Talking about the resurrection. You think about what's going to happen in Acts. They start 120 in the upper room, in that little room. And they end well over about 20 to 25,000, the great multitude, by Acts 7 talking about a megachurch moving quick. I was reading about... I, there was a time a few years ago, and I still do this periodically, where I'll go look at the local megachurches, see what they're doing, because they have a pulse on how to market to the masses, <laughs> and they understand that. And so I'm like, okay, well, what are we looking at? What are they seeing, and et cetera? I haven't done that since COVID because they don't they don't know what to do either, so... You live by Trinity? Yes, they do. Everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, meg- the megachurches, you'll usually hear their, his- their story. Well, we started in our living room with 20. It took us three or four years, and we finally got to 200. And then we finally, after that, we finally, and it took us about five years to get to 6,000. These guys got to 25,000 in less than six months. That's a megachurch. That's moving. See? But that's what? That's growing. Verse 32. But when it is sown, it groweth up and become greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches. This thing's growing. It started small. What's verse 28? It starts as the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn. It's growing. It's moving. So the this timing issue here from the beginning of their ministry to his return that again that's when the harvest is that's when the angels come and reap that's what we're going for but until then what's going to happen this great herb is going to grow notice in verse 28 the branches shoot out great branches And then he says, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now, the fowls of the air, who's that, right? Well, go back to, in chapter 4, go back to verse 4. Notice who this is. And this is important. It's critical here. 4-4. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. All right, well, who's that? Verse 15. And these are they by the wayside when the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their heart. So the fowls of the air, all through Scripture, are associated with Satan, the adversary, his emissaries, his workers, his policy of evil. So the fowls of the air... What they've done is they're coming in, they're seeking to oppose what God's doing in the little flock, and by the way, what's the little flock going to be doing? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom, continuing on, proclaiming this this information that was hid in the moment, because the unbeliever can't get it, the apostate can't get it, but they do. Now it's time to, everybody gets it, and what do they do? they lodge in the shadow of it verse 32 now they, what they're doing in the shadow of it is that they are taking they take the protection that the mustard seed the kingdom program provides and they're going to infiltrate it they're going to move in and they 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 you know Underneath the shadow of of the whole program, they're good to go. And, by the way, Numbers 11, Moses, they come out of Egypt, and he talks there about they are a mixed multitude. And he says they fell a lusting. And that's always the problem in Israel since day one, since their birthday. Why? We've got an unbelieving element, and we've got a believing element. And they're, they're always there. That's why the book of 1 John, written by John to, to my little children, who would that be? Little flock, nation of Israel. And in 1 John, there are seven tests to identify the truth from the error. To come along and say, hey, the believer's going to say this. By the way, it's interesting, you read the seven tests, all of them are professions of their mouth. They're, the believer is going to say this. The unbeliever is going to say that. And you need to identify that. Come over to Revelation. Uh, stop in chapter 1. Look at verse 20. So there's uh, this, this issue about the back there in 421, Mark 4, about the candlesticks. Here's the verse. Revelation one twenty, The mysteries of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. And the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. You see that are? I kind of emphasized it. All through the book of the Revelation, he's going to say that. So then what are the seven candlesticks? They are the seven churches. That's who they are. They're not wannabes wish for a thought that Hal, Hal Lindsay and those boys have. What are they? They're this. That's exactly what they are. That's, by the way, verse 19, he says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. John, you write what you see, you, you write what they mean, and then you write the next thing. That's why the book of the Revelation goes in a circle, cycles, all through and everybody and their brother breaks their full neck trying to make them all match. And, and they're, but they're not. the book isn't written that way. When we studied the Revelation, the book years ago now, oh, gee whiz. I told you, we take it as it comes. Why? Because this, I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw that. And that whole sequence is there. Chapter 2, verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus Right? These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, now watch, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou, thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them, there's first John and James, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them, what? Liars. What's going on? Here's the connection back to that mustard seed. Mark 4. Here's what's coming to you guys. When you get over there, which they don't see the dispensational interruption, they're looking across the timeline directly to it. He says, when you get over there, you know what you're going to find out in your midst? You got false prophets. You got false apostles. You're in Second Peter. You're in First Peter condition here. And you know what they're going to do? There's going to be people there's going to be some some under the shadow of the program claiming to be, and they're really not. That's why verse 8. And under the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things which uh, these things say at the first and the last, which was dead and is alive, I know thy works and the tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blaspheme of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou hast suffered. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. What's going on? They say they're what? They're Jews, but they really belong to who? Satan. James, he says, they were not of us, for if they were of us, They'd have stayed with us, and they're not. So they're, So when you come back to Mark 4, there are going, they're going to, to find themselves in a situation where counterfeits are going to come in, and they're going to try to infiltrate Mark 4 there, um, and they're going to try to uh, come in. So he's warning them, Okay uh he's warning them telling them hey look we, we've got issues we've got people we've got i don't know what happened to my phone it must be in there okay all of this going on okay so in 432 be careful because when they come in they're hiding in the shadows and again they're looking for protection they're using the program to protect themselves and this is not low-lying guys these are The priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high-end guy, high echelons, the leaders. Now, when you go back to Mark 4 there, the mustard seed, when you look at the mustard seed, and it's about the fact that that it's about growth. That's what it's about. And it's about this issue of going from, you know, 120, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 joined. The next chapter, 5,000 join. And then, like I said, all the way up to that big... Mo- so there's growth, and it's a quick growth. But there will be satanic opposition that's going to come from within. Okay? Now, when you come to... I just want to run a, par- a comparison with you with Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the parable here quickly. Because it's, it's interesting... Uh, come over to Matthew... Uh, 13. When you look at the details, the parable in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are going to differ, and they're going to differ due to the issue of what each book is, is painting that portrait of the Savior. Matthew paints the portrait of the Savior as king, Jehovah, king, Mark, Jehovah, the servant. Luke, Jehovah, the man. By the way, John, Jehovah, the, he's God. But in Matthew, Matthew is a governmental official. So he's presenting, he's building an official case for Christ being the Messiah. So he's, he gathers information into groups. And he groups these parables. Matthew 13 He's got the seven mystery parables of the kingdom. They didn't happen chronologically this way. Mark is more chronological than any of the books, even though Luke is pretty close chronologically. But Matthew groups them. We'll see when we talk about the storm. That's Matthew 8, but Mark's got it over in Mark 4. But but Matthew's grouped it into 8. Mark, again, more chronological of the events because... Here's the servant's work schedule. Here's his work that he's doing. Where Luke presents the Lord as the man, so there's that, again, more of a human touch to it and so forth. Matthew 13, seven parables of the mysteries of the kingdom. Look at verse 31. Here's the parable. Matthew 13, 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, notice there's some, it's a little different in the detail. First of all, notice it's, it's, it's a man took, and, and what? Sown in his field. Alright, so what's the field? Look over at verse 36, where he's going to declare unto them the tares of the field. Verse 37, and he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. So when you think about, all right, here's a guy, he's going to sow the mustard seed, but where? In the world, in his field. Now, the reason that that's important is because that gives you a timing of where this event's going to take place historically. When do they go to the world? Acts 1, verse 8. Start in Jerusalem, then Judea then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. So there's a picture here. There's a You're going to go out here and you're going to sow this into the world. So the kingdom of God is beginning to fill up the world through the little flock, through the nation of Israel. It first starts with the little flock, getting them up, running, established, ready. Then as they turn and as they then go out and take on the sowing of the word in the what? In the field, in the world. You see that? Now, that's Matthew. Why? Because Matthew's got got a governmental viewpoint on it. Mark isn't. Mark's like, no, he did this, he did this. He's got the work schedule. Verse 32. Notice what the birds do here. The birds of the air come and what? lodge it's not they're not under the shadow it's they're they're not just under the protection of it here they lodge when you lodge what they what do you do you move in you see now they have been they've become part of it they're, they have moved right into the leadership. And Mark, they're just under the protection. By the way, why would the ser- a servant want to be under the protection of the house he's working in? You can't mess with me because I belong to that house. See, if you got a problem with me, you go talk to my employer. He's right over there. A governmental official, where are we looking at now? We're looking at leadership. We were talking just a minute ago about all this variants and COVIDs and stuff. You can agree, disagree all day long. It's here to stay. Might as well get over it. And if you want to do anything out there, you might as well pay attention. Now, I know what, oh, you can cave in? No, you didn't hear what I just said. Who's in charge of the situation? They are. You're not. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't matter who the president is or who runs Congress. It's here to stay. So you just got to come to some understanding for yourself, as long as we have freedom still, to do for you, but then don't pitch a fit when they say, if you want to come into our restaurant, you've got to do A, B, and C. Why? They're in charge. That's what it is. If you don't like it, go to the next restaurant, because the next restaurant may say what? Sure, come on in. See? You're trying to make... Sinful man, do something that sinful man is not cut out to do. And that's think logically about things. Because they don't. Even the most logical thinkers, I was reading, uh, oh, what's that guy's name? I just had him. Oh, and he made the same point, similar. He goes, The most logical of us all is illogical. It's like, wow, okay. Well, anyway, here it is. They're right into the leadership. Come over to Luke 13. Luke 13, Here's, here, here it is in Luke. They're lodging. Mark, under the shadow. There's, I'm the servant, I work for that guy, you go talk to him. It's his house, I'm here on his behalf. Matthew, the king, perspective, we're in leadership. They've moved in. Luke 13. A little closer to Mark because of the man picture, but yet, again, completely different context than Mark and Matthew. Luke 13, verse 18, Then said he unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden." And it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Now, what's it like? Well, it's like a guy out there, not in the throwing it in the field, but throwing it where? In his garden. Isn't that interesting? You see, again, Luke has that human side to it. Luke says garden. Mark's, uh, Matthew says the field, which is the world. Mark just says it's sown. Doesn't say where it is. just, it's sown. But the thing in Luke is what, how does verse 18 start? What's the word? Then said he. Then. You see, there's a context here, and the placement here is what becomes important when understanding what he means by the garden. Look back up at verse 10. Notice what's happening here. In Jesus Christ, in responding to what just happened, then says, verse 18 and 19, what just happened, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the what? Uh-oh, here we go again. That Sabbath, nope, you know, shame, shame, shame. You're messing with our Sabbath again. You guys are going to relax a little bit. And behold... There was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed or bowed together and could in no wise lift up her... She's bent over at the waist. I mean, so think about it. For how long? 18 years, what is she? She's bent over. She can't look up. She's been looking at the ground. She's been looking at the dirt. And this is a picture of Israel. By the way, notice... There was a woman. Remember how the Lord two times calls his mother "woman, woman." A picture of Israel. Jeremiah six talks about Israel is gonna. The daughters of Israel will be likened unto a woman. The verse says, and there's it's not a derogatory thing here. It's a there's a picture here, a picture of Israel being bowed over, looking down at their feet. Well, look at, what's at your feet? Dust. Genesis 3, the devil has said, Satan has said that he's going to eat dust. Do you know that dust is the devil's food? That's what it is. He's bowed over. They are bowed over. Now what happens to her? And when Jesus saw, verse 12, saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. What happened? And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. What did he do? He came and did what? Liberated Israel. Liberated the woman. her. Problem was, he did it when? On the Sabbath day. So instead of them catching the picture he just painted, where'd they go? Well, verse 14, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Boy, look at You were working on the Sabbath again. And the Lord answered. Watch the wisdom here. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, Doth not each of you, on your uh, each one of you, on the Sabbath, loose his ox or his asses from the stall and lead him away to watering? By the way, when you release him from the stall, what do you do? You set him free. And ought not this woman, now watch, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond? on the Sabbath day. Here he is, the Lord of Sabbaths, and what's he doing? Setting his people free. The rest, the Sabbath rest, and he's loosing them. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he, see that after him doing what? That Painting that picture of of." Of of this woman, who is what? The daughter of Abraham. Then said he, there's a guy out here doing what? Throwing a seed, but where? In his garden. The garden. She's a daughter of Abraham, and I healed her. That word, that seed is being put into who? The daughters of Abraham. The garden." Now that isn't the end of the story because trouble's coming. Because the fowls of the air did what? Lodged themselves in the branches of it. The end of verse 19. What are, they're right there where Matthew said they are, right in the leadership. And there's trouble. Trouble coming. And again, it's there's something else here, by the way. The mustard seed is a what? It's an herb, isn't it? But what does Luke 13 say? It became a what? A great tree. Matthew 13 says that it, it became a tree. That's a problem. The Jewish listener, come back to Genesis 1, who knew their Bible, let's say it like that, knew that this was, that this presented a problem. Look at Genesis 1. Because you have an herb that has worked itself into a, what? A tree. Genesis 1, verse 11. 11 and 12. Genesis 1, 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God said that it was good. What's the herb to be yielding? An herb seed. That's what the herb is. What's the tree going to yield? The tree, the fruit, whatever it matches. So when the herb grows, come back to Mark 4. When the herb grows and it's bringing forth fruit, it's doing it after its kind. Another herb. When the tree grows and it produces fruit, it's the fruit tree. It's whatever the fruit is. Sunday, we had oranges here from the Morgans trees. Well, what kind of tree did it come from? An orange tree. Duh. Because there's oranges. You get the concept. But here we don't have that. We have a mustard seed, which is an herb, and it's grown into what? It's grown into this big tree. It's grown into a great tree. So the herb growing into a tree is not something that's... There's a problem. In the growing process, something has gone wrong. Now, what's, gro- what's gone wrong? Well, the fowls of the air have what? Moved in, they've lodged into it. They, they're not just under its shadow, it's, they have come in and completely invaded it. It has become a mixed multitude. Now, you're back in Mark four, right? Good. Mark, that's, again, that, again Mark's, that's not Mark's focus. He doesn't even say, it, he just says it's got branches. Luke, hey, right after he's healed the daughter of Abraham, he's got a seed in the garden, but yet there's what? Trouble, because that herb became a what? A great tree. There's trouble. Matthew, again, grouped them together. It's all about the establishment of the kingdom. And yet, what's happened? Trouble, because it's become a tree. So in Mark 4, after he's explained the, the you know, hey, the truth is hidden from this group. It's not meant to be hidden forever. You guys, believing remnant, little flock, you're going you're gonna to manifest it. You're going to preach it. You're going to sow it. It's going to grow, the blade, the ear, the foal, the fruit, the harvest. And when that harvest comes, that's going to be a big deal. That's the second coming of the Lord. So you think about where we're at. Just think about timing. We're in the earthly ministry of the Lord, and he's just taken them all the way to the second coming of Christ. See that? He took them from where they're at in time, in the moment, Acts period, through the tribulation, and into the second coming. And you're, you guys, again, Mark 4, you're the minister, you're the servant, your job is to, your ministry is gonna is gonna prosper, it's gonna get big, it's gonna look great, but don't get a big head, because trouble is coming. And that's why in verse 35, in Mark 4.35, you have the the storm and the Lord calming the storm. Why? We got all this going on, and yet what's coming? Trouble is coming. Look at verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. Even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. He's just spent a a great day of work. He's been out, he's been healing, and so they got to get in the boat to get away from the multitude. But what does the Lord tell them? Verse 35, let us pass over unto the other side. They're going to where the other side. <laughs> All right. Now it's going to be critical in just a minute. They, verse thirty-six, and when they had sent him away, the uh, uh, away the, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. The multitude follow. they, they keep following him. They won't let him go. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat under the ship. In Matthew, or in Luke, I'm sorry, in Luke 8, I think it is, it says that the ship filled up with water. The waves are great, and they're coming into the boat. So it's a wind driven water, is where the danger always is. It's not in water, it's in the wind driven water. So that it was now full. So we've got trouble, we've got a storm brewing, we've got wind and water, so we've got a problem. Verse 38, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Isn't that wonderful? And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Notice, he's asleep, they wake him up, trouble, trouble. So what does he do? Verse 39, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's a great question. What's he do? He rebukes the sea. He rebukes the storm. He looks at the he looks at the wind and the water, and he says, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. It went right down to glass, <laughs> you know. It's a great picture here, what's ahead for the little flock. They're having a great ministry. Think about the Acts period. They got a great ministry going, and then Herod kills John. And he sees that, it bene- that the people like it, so he goes after Peter. He's been after, uh, I'm sorry, he he killed James, not John. He killed James, he's been after John, but he gets Peter, throws Peter into jail, the Holy Ghost goes down there and lets him out, says, bail's been paid, get out of here. What's happening? There's great, they're having great ministry, but yet what's coming? Trouble. Trouble. Now, notice what the Lord does here. He... Goes in verse 38. He goes where? In the hinder parts, and he's a what? He's asleep, but he's asleep on a pillow. What a picture here. He's com- if you're sleeping on a pillow, are you worried about what's going on up top? He's completely at rest. Think about this. He's completely at rest. Yeah. Exactly. Think about what he. What did he just tell them? Guys, we're going to the other side. I'm gonna go to sleep. I leave us getting to the other side in your capable hands. It's coming. We're not there yet. In Mark, I'm gonna be resurrected, and while I'm gone, you got work to do. And you know what? You're capable. Because I've established you and another comforter is coming and he'll take care of you. And that's literally what the picture is here. Being sleep on, now again, his humanity, he's tired. All right, now as God, he's not weary, but as man, he's weary, he's tired. But what is he doing here? He's, I trust you to get us to the other side. And what do they do? Freak out. They did, but what did they not do? They didn't stay current with what he told them. What did he tell them in verse 35? We're going to the other side. So what should they have known? We're going to get to the other side. And stayed the course, but they didn't. They freaked out. Now, I just jumped ahead a little bit. Come over to Matthew 8. And Matthew 8, here's the storm in Matthew 8. You see, when... The mustard seed, great growth, big big ministry opportunities, going, going, going. But guess what's coming, guys? Trouble. And you know what my word is? If you obey, he that endures to the end shall be saved. If you keep the, the I love that thing about in Israel's history, in Israel's program, the issue of those that patiently wait are who are rewarded. Patiently waiting. You're patiently waiting. That's your salvation. Enduring to the end. There's your salvation. Now, that's not soul salvation. That's program stuff. So when he works down through it, what's he doing? Patiently wait. You guys should have waited. We'd have got there, but you didn't. You freaked out. You didn't stay with the current information. So he gets up and he's got to do. Matthew 8. Look at verse 18. Matthew 8, 18. Here's the, the account. or I'm sorry, here's just before the account. Uh, now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The fox have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head." That's that that issue there. You, 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 he says it again in Revelation 14. That gets pulled into the thing in Luke 2 about being in the or Luke 1 and the manger and so forth. But really, that has nothing to do. What he's talking about is I'm. This guy says I'm gonna follow you, and he says, Dude, I'm a nobody. You're following. I'm insignificant here. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Yet, what's he doing on the boat? He's asleep. He's got his pillows tucked up underneath his head. He's at rest, peaceful. Verse 23. And when he was entered into the ship, his disciples followed. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? You see, then uh, by the way, we'll I'll just keep reading. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But when the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. And that's a fulfillment of Psalms 89 and so forth there. And w- by the way, when they say that, of, of what kind of man, what manner of man is this, you know who he is? He's demonstrating himself to be the The creator. He's God, the creator. And that is what Psalms 89 is getting at, okay? But Matthew here, he's grouped this together in Matthew 8. Matthew 8, the first four verses, he heals the leper. He's healing the nation of Israel. Then he heals the centurion servant. His salvation is being sent to the Gentiles, to the nations. 14 to 18, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. She had the great fever. 19 to 22, there's no place for him to lay his head. He's insignificant. He's on his way to Calvary. The, The meek and lowly, they've stumbled over him. And then in verse 23 to 27, he calms the storm. What's he healing when he tells the wind to be still and the waters? He's healing nature. Nature is responding to him. Why? Because he's the creator. Nature is in rebellion. They got the sin curse. They're rebelling. And then, by the way, verse 28 to 34, he casts out, the devil. So he can come back to Mark 4. He can heal the leper. He can heal the Gentile, the centurion servant. He can heal the the raging fever, but he can also heal what nature, nature listens to him, nature responds to him. Matthew, he's the one who can do. He's again, he's built Matthew's building that case for Christ being the Messiah. Mar- Mark, he's not doing that. He says, hey, here's your work schedule. You guys go out there and you have ministry, and there's going to be opposition to it. There's going to be a storm. Then he says, look, peace, calm. He's, verse 39, 439, he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He's calmed nature down. Verse 40, and he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Well, why is it? Because they're not trusting in his word. What was his word again? We're going to the other side, guys. Let's go. Where is their, their faithful? It isn't that they lost their salvation. They're going to go burn in hell. That's, no, they're not what? The opposition came up against them. And what they do? They kind of wilted under the pressure, didn't they? They didn't stay the course. By the way, you can draw analogies to you and I today in a great way here. We do the same thing. Stay. They should have had faith in his word. You have my word, guys. We're going to the other side. You're, I, you're, in, you guys are capable of getting us there. And yet, the first, you know, the first five footer over the bow, you're freaked out, and you don't need to be. So when they're out ministering, they need to remember. His word. They're going to sow the seed. It's going to grow. The satanic opposition is going to come up. And they need to trust His word on the outcome. And that's literally what verse 29... By the way, verse 429 is the outcome. What's the outcome? There's going to be a day of harvest when you're going to reap the fruit. And you need to stay right there. Now, Mark... Again, more details in what's going to come. There's going to be now a connection into chapter 5. And we'll get all that next time, okay? <laughs> Might as well stop now because the hour's up. But I just, you know, again, catch what's happening here. This isn't some, you know, mystical, he's a great teacher. No, look at what's happening. Here, all the way over, you guys are going to have a tremendous ministry. You're capable, you've been equipped. To do it, just trust my word. Some do, some don't. Fine. You know how to identify the believing element? You know how to identify the apostate nation? Stay out of that. Come over here. You read the book of Hebrews, the fantastic word in Hebrews is better. We have a better sacrifice, a better priest, a better, 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 better. Why? Because what's that apostate nation doing? They've just resurrected the old. The believing remnant's going to move on to the new and better. Stay the course, guys. Stay the course. And now he's teaching them this while he's with them, because what happens the day of resurrection? They go lock themselves up, don't they? They're afraid, exactly. They're not they're not boiling over with confidence are they they're running for their lives why well a good reason Herod and the boys are after them i get that but the thing is is what does he say hey they hate you think they hate me hate you they hated me first it's what it's his word it's what's coming okay so the mustard seed little dude by the way it's historically it is little but it grows into the bigger but, it, but the description of it being a tree, we got problems. Why? Because the satanic policy of evil has lodged itself in there. And that's what's going to happen in chapter 5 with the healing here of the, of the uh, well, it's called the Maniac of Gadara. But there's a reason why you go to the other side. And what's going to happen, just to kind of give you a heads up here, is when they get over in the country of the Gadarenes, the Gadarenes sits up on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And it has historically, since the day of Moses, been a stronghold for the satanic uh, and the adversary's activity. When they go to go into the land, that's where, that's the, and and by the way, it's modern day. I think it's Damascus and Jordan. It's all up in that north end. And that, so he's going to go in there and he's going to poke the devil in the eye and say, see, I can still come and get you here. Nothing, you're not safe anywhere. So we'll go through all that. We'll start after the New Year, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord, we are the evening and the morning and the noon. And we thank you for everything that you've given to us in your son and for the pictures here that we have and for the understanding and the doctrine and the and the wisdom of what you did with your apostles and disciples in the day. And Lord, I just pray that we would take it to heart for us today and make the application to us to stand fast and to carry on and to be about what we are to be about as your ambassadors. We'll give you the praise and the honor. In your name we pray. Amen.